It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Congressman Doug Collins is coming up soon. He wants to be the next senator from Georgia, now a congressman from Georgia, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. We have a lot to discuss with him, including the resurgence of a virus. It's not overwhelming the country, but it's coming back, including in Texas. So I have to find out what he thinks that uh, means. Uh, for all these races, including the president's fortunes, because he is running the Texas GOP. He is in charge, and he couldn't pick a better person. Uh, the president of the United States today will be uh, continuing his tour, and he themed it Great American Comeback Event. It'll be in Pittsburgh at the International Airport, likes to do it open air. So the vice president will be uh, making, uh, having some fun in Manchester, New Hampshire. That is the state the president thinks he can win. And in terms of the vice president, Joe Biden, he remarks yesterday uh, without mentioning the late Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, which is curious. His running mate Kamala Harris visits um, Mississippi today and Biden will visit North Carolina tomorrow. So take a break after going to Wisconsin yesterday. By the way, why do you go to Wisconsin if you're not going to talk to anybody and you go into in front of an empty room? Stay home. There's this, if you want to be the contrast between the president, I get it. So put your circles on the floor. Get at least 100, 200 people. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The U.K. is mulling another lockdown as the number of COVID cases spikes there. Bars will close early and more people are being encouraged to work from home. Great. COVID-19 cases are rising in about 20 states, but deaths are down 4% nationwide. Hospitalizations down too. Uh, small business begs Washington for some help because many of these Democratic mayors are starving them unnecessarily. It makes it impossible for life to go back to normal. This is a second wave in Europe, and we're making sure we have to make sure it doesn't happen here. Number two. The latest CBS News battleground tracker poll in Florida shows the presidential race there tightening in that hugely important state. Democratic candidate Joe Biden leads President Trump by just two points, 48 to 46 percent among likely voters. Wow. Uh, 2020, the vote more and more likely will not have a winner on November 3rd as the courts are okaying mail in delays while both Biden and Trump trumpet their themes and messages to gather support 42 days from election day and exactly one week from debate one number one we're already hearing incorrect claims that there is not sufficient time to examine and confirm a nominee the late iconic justice john paul stevens was confirmed by the senate 19 days after this body formally received his nomination that was mitch mcconnell very very hyped up No question, President Trump will fill the seat and seems to have the GOP votes to do it. What happens next? What the Dems will do? And could it cost or give the president the election? What do you think? We weigh in in on the Supreme Court candidates and more. A lot to go over, especially with the last one, which will be our first one. So if the president goes ahead and picks a candidate, puts her forward, it's going to be a she, and she moves quickly, and she passes on pure Republican votes. Who will it help? 
Well, on the surface, it's going to fuel people who say, wow, Donald Trump's been a success. 300 circuit court judges and now a third Supreme Court justice. But it will also inspire Democrats. It will inspire Democrats who, by the way, on average, for those Democrats, uh, senator candidates or incumbents who want to keep their seat, they got an average of $1.3 million the day Ginsburg passed away because they know that there'll be a fight to fill her seat, whether they want a Democratic president to do it or they want to make sure there's a Democratic president to do it. That will also inspire Republicans. Republicans to make sure that they have a pro-life candidate out there and a conservative in that seat for the next 30 years, because most of these candidates are in their uh, 40s, 30, late 30s, 40s and 50s. So there's a lot on the line. So many different aspects to this. For example, the candidates, uh, the candidates we're getting very familiar with. Uh, there's five. And what we don't know is exactly who the other two are. We know who the first three are. It's Allison Jones rushing. We don't know much about her compared to Amy Coney Barrett, who was a finalist for the Kavanaugh seat. She has emerged as a favorite. She met with the president yesterday. The other one that people are looking at is Barbara Lagoa. But word is that I found out that her record seems kind of thin. And she might have some controversial cases behind her. But doesn't mean she's not extremely intelligent. It doesn't mean her story isn't fantastic as the first generation from a family that had to flee Cuba. And doesn't mean that she's not very uh, attractive because she's from Florida. And already the Cuban community is going for the president big time because of what Obama and Biden did with Cuba, giving them normal relations status, releasing the embargo for absolutely no reason. But... With those two candidates out there, people are being to feast. And she is a, a, a mom of seven. And I'm talking about Amy. She's a mom of seven, two adopted kids, one with special needs. And she is outwardly and openly pro-life. Question. Even if you are very pro-life, do you believe that that helps get you over the edge in battleground states decided by thousands, which will be the undecideds, the independents, the moderates. There are Catholics who are pro-choice, and people say, well, you shouldn't be in the church. I get it, but let's, let's look at reality as opposed to theory. And sometimes you have to keep your powder dry. And I ask you this. If you're the president of the United States, do you wait till after the election to say, you know, get me, get me this job for four more years she's in? Don't get it. I can't vote her in. It mobilizes the evangelicals like never before and Republicans who don't like Trump to say, man, I don't want the flip side of this. Joe Biden won't name his list. And the theory is, and unless it's disputed, I don't see it, uh, why he wouldn't. It's because the people on it, they're probably very qualified, but they're also probably very, very far left. And that will blow him up with moderates and blow up his image as a moderate. Cut one. Let me tell you why I'm not going to answer that question, because it will shift all the focus. That's what he wants. He never wants to talk about the issue at hand. He always tries to change the subject. But let's say I answer that question. Then the whole debate's going to be, well, Biden said or didn't say. Biden said he would or wouldn't. That's going to, the, this, the discussion should be about why he is moving in a direction that's totally inconsistent with what the founders wanted. He doesn't want to talk about Joe Biden. He only wants to talk about Donald Trump. And that's why he gave a 30-minute speech, I think, and got to the whole thing. My dad lost his job. He had to live. I had to live with uh, my grandparents while my dad went to another state, Delaware, where he'd end up bringing his family and got another job. We've heard that story really since 1988. 
And then he made up a whole bunch of other stories that nobody ever holds him accountable for. He made up a war story. Never happened. He made up a horrific battle story about somebody running over a, a, fa- a, a woman and then after she's dead, uh, raping her, if that's even possible, and blame battle fatigue. No one's verified that story. And now he comes out and says, well, I'm not going to go over this. Why? Because it's about, he wants about Donald Trump and the pandemic. Well, that's fine. That's going to be an issue. But this happens to be a big issue. President Bush wanted to be an education president. Then 9-11 happened. So what are the Democrats going to do? They are going to pack the court, perhaps. We'll see. They are going to try to make Puerto Rico a state. They think it'll be a state in their column. They'll get two more senators and get um, help get them electoral votes. Puerto Rico, in, in theory, I'm not sure that that'll stand long term. They could do the same thing with the uh, Grand, uh, with Guam or American Samoa. They could try to do that. And if they ch- they blow up the filibuster, that'll happen. Guess who doesn't want to blow up the filibuster? Senator Dianne Feinstein. Guess who won't weigh in on packing the court? Senator Dianne Feinstein. I sense it like a Chris Coons won't be into that, where Congresswoman, who won't vote on this, but Congressman AOC, in a second, uh, would do that. She ro- rolls out of bed and does that. So it's going to be extremely controversial. So now, any I'll tell you what, if I am a judge, I'm thinking twice about even doing this. I mean, they, you saw what happened to Kavanaugh. They went back to his high school. They were looking at what he wrote in high school yearbooks. Then they looked at trips he made to Red Sox games and organizations that he did was they're drinking on the bus in college. I mean, I don't know what she was like. Let's say you were a crazy guy in or a woman in high school, and then you straighten out your life, you go to law school and become a successful judge. Are they going to go back, well, you were crazy in high school, you are not worthy of sitting on the bench. So the question is, are the Republicans hypocrites? Well, nine months before Barack Obama was gone, they had Wayne, uh, Wayne Merrick, he was former Islander great, they had Merrick Garland nominated, and Mitch McConnell made it clear, I'm not even going to hear him. I'm not going to interview him. He's not going to get his day in Congress, in the Senate. And they said, that's wrong. He goes, well, in the last year, you don't do that. So this is 42 days until the election. Should you do that? Well, the answer Mitch McConnell says is the American people gave, uh, gave America a Republican Senate. And it gave us a Republican White House. So therefore, the answer is yes, we should be doing that. Is that okay with you? Well, in 2016, Barack Obama was all for... If I'm president, I don't care what year it is, my nominee should get confirmed. Cut 10. When there is a vacancy on the Supreme Court, the president of the United States is to nominate someone. Historically, this has not been viewed as a question. Uh, There's no unwritten law that says that it can only be done on off years. That's not in the constitutional text. True. That's why President Trump's doing it. Uh, listen, there's, there's problems on all sides, but they also see an opportunity to Republicans. The question is, is help or hurt their election? I think in hell, originally I thought it would hurt. The more I think about it, I think it, it helps. And I know Democrats would do the same thing. Congressman Doug Collins is taking action on something that seems inevitable if the Senate goes to the Democrats November 3rd. And that is packing the court, adding two more justices. He's making a move on that. Then Lieutenant Lieutenant Colonel Allen West. Busy day. Don't want you to move. Don't need to go anywhere else. Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
the Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Whenever the president and the Senate are controlled by the same party, the Senate almost always confirms nominations in a presidential election year. It's happened 19 times. The Senate has confirmed it 17 times. Whenever the president and the Senate are controlled by opposite parties, as it was four years ago with Barack Obama, the Senate doesn't confirm the nominee. That's happened 10 times in our history. The Senate's only confirmed the nominee twice. Now, you you may say that's just a question of partisan power. It's actually not. It's a question of the people deciding. This issue was litigated. It was litigated to the American people. It was a major reason. It was the single biggest reason I personally voted for Donald Trump is because he promised to nominate justices in the mold of Scalia and Thomas. Oh, that is Ted Cruz, one of the smartest guys around who definitely knows his history. Now, without controversy, the president's about to nominate somebody else to Supreme. The Supreme Court will be his third. Congressman Doug Collins joins us now. Congressman, we heard about the nomination. The president did not hesitate. He's going to name a candidate Friday or Saturday. But you've already heard of, heard about, and already taken action about the possible retaliation from Democrats. What have you done? Well, what we've done, Brian, it's good to be with you again. It's just we've talked about it. If they want to have this, you know, sort of what I'll call emotional reaction to say that we're going to pack the court if the president does this, we've heard it from Jerry Nadler, my chairman on the Judiciary Committee. We've heard it from other members. Is that we're just simply going to put forward a constitutional amendment that says if a law like that is passed uh, that expands the size of the court, then it has to wait 10 years to become effective. And I think that's something that would then make them at least think uh, more than uh, twice about saying, you know, let's do something on a emotional level. The court at nine is the, is the place the court needs to be. It's been that way for almost, you know, well over 150, almost 200 years. That's where the court size should be. And, I, you know, this is simply what we've seen, Brian. We've talked about this. I mean, how many times are the Democrats this year who, when they don't get what they want, they want to change the rules? So I'm just simply saying, if you if you think you can do that, then you're going to, the constitutional amendment would keep it from happening for 10 years after you pass that law. Well, I mean, that's going to be interesting as you run and you hope to be in the Senate uh, for this. Do you believe on a pure political level that the Republicans are taking a risk, your party taking a risk of losing the Senate and the White House because this will energize the Democrats? You must realize there's a risk there. 
There, uh, there's always a risk in election cycle, but it also there's a risk in not doing it because of exactly what this president said he was going to do when he uh, and who he was going to nominate when he got elected. And he brought that promise to the American people four years ago. And he said, here's the justice I will nominate, and I will nominate them any chance I get. If he does not go through with this when there is an actual opportunity to do this for this court, then I think you run the risk of a, the conservative base being actually demoralized in this. So there's a risk both ways, and I just believe there's probably a risk greater uh, than not doing it. Why would we not take it? The Democrats would do this, Brian. Let's, let's make no jokes here. The Democrats would not even hesitate twice. They would already have the nominee up. They'd already be doing it. Uh, so many times in the past, Republicans have shown uh, restraint, and, and I think we just need to go ahead. The president needs to nominate the person, and then we need to put them through in the, in the Senate. They get the Senate to vote. So now, do you want the House, will the House take this up, as you propose, this this rule to prohibit the Supreme Court packing of at least two more justices? Hasn't even been tried since the 30s? Yeah, I, w- I would love to see that. But I'd love to see Nancy Pelosi actually put a bill up that actually was uh, not a, a Democrat talking point. We've not done any bills recently that uh, have any chance or hope of getting into law. I hope is with this that we begin this conversation. We let the, it sort of shine a light back on these Democrats who are being— uh, you know, very frustrated and right now being emotional and how they're actually, you know, handling this, saying if we don't get our way, we're going to try, you know, we're going to do this if we gain. Again, they're making a big assumption that they're actually going to get power in November, which I'm still thinking they're not, especially I think the president's going to get reelected. I think the Senate's going to stay red. I'm going to be a part of that Senate. And I do still hold out hope for the House to be flipped as well. I think we can. So I he, think we just need to continue this process out. Here's what Nancy Pelosi wants to do. Cut six. All right. But I'm going to press you one more time. What is your power to do this? I get the election, but you have you can get up more. You can speak out more. You can do more impeachments, things like that. Do you have enough power? Well, we can impeach him every day of the week for anything he does. In fact, for 200,000 people dying. Well, because, look, the American people want to know what we're doing that affects them directly. Does it amaze you that the New York Times reporter is urging her to do something? George Stephanopoulos is urging her to do something. They're urging her to try to impeach the president again. He got six points in approval rating when they tried to (laughs) impeach him the last time. Will will anybody now listen to us, Brian, when we talk about the New York Times, the mainstream media, these folks are not active uh, political arms of the DNC? I mean, look at what they're trying to do here. They're trying to convince the speaker. And it's really interesting. I wish that same speaker who was speaking just then had been around almost a year ago when she decided to go into a sham impeachment with no evidence and no proof and no truth. And and yet, you know— you look at it then. I mean, those same words could come back. You know, it should have been used last year when the people are more interested in actually doing something for them instead of impeaching a president, especially when we knew he had nothing, had right. done nothing wrong. Mr. Uh, you know, Congressman, you got to help out these small businesses. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. You got to get him some money. They would love to work their way out of this. These they're not being allowed to get to the restaurants, not being allowed to open up the comedy clubs. They can't get. You know the gyms are open up to twenty five percent. No one's paying their bills across this country. What can you do to help? 
Well, one, we could, I, you know, we're, I'm more than willing to work with the president, as he has said, let's get that, that relief to those businesses, those businesses that have been hurt. But also, I'm going to take a different tack on this, Brian. We do need to do our work in Congress, and we need to get more out. But there's also another issue here. Georgia, and my home state of Georgia, is, has unemployment now down below 6%. It's also a matter of getting your company, your state back open. It's about actually I hear you. A, a very safe and, and calculated risk. And, and I think the election is going to come down to that. When you're going to see these states, these many times blue states, New York, New York City, which I love, and I know you're you know, very much a part of, you know, when they keep everything shut down, when de Blasio and Cuomo and all do this for power, trying to influence election, my hope is that people see right through it. They vote uh, to keep the president. And, and it'll be amazing, I think, how many of them will start backing down after the election uh, because we're seeing it work in states that are actually trying. Congressman, I know you're neck and neck to get that Senate seat. Best of luck, Congressman Doug Collins, wants to be the next senator from Georgia. Lindsey Graham, next. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. They're not going to intimidate me, Mitch McConnell, or anybody else. I'm getting outraised three to one, outspent four to one. If you want to help me fight back, go to lindsaygram.com. Five or ten bucks from half your audience would fill in the gap that I'm facing. Graham's plea for money there highlights a risk for Republicans. Just a few minutes after Cory Gardner announced his support for a vote, for instance, his Senate campaign can, uh, opponent began trending on Twitter as thousands of dollars began pouring into his campaign coffers. Uh, joining us now, Senator Lindsey Graham, to expand on that. Man, he's the man of the hour. Judici- he's the chairman of the Judiciary Committee. Who knew that Grassley was getting out just at the right time, Senator? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't think you see him wanting to come back anytime soon. <laughs> All right, so first off, I talked to Chuck yesterday. Yeah, yeah. and what did he say about that? He was laughing about he picked a good two-year break. So, uh, Senator, everyone sees you in 2016 saying, "I'll play, make this pledge." Uh, in 2016, in 2020, if it's a Republican president and there's a judiciary, there's a judicial appointment open, uh, I will not support mm-hmm. it. You have my word on that. Hold me to that. What changed? Uh, Kavanaugh, if you look what I said to Chris Wallace in January of 2019, I said, after Kavanaugh, the rules have changed for me. The whole game has changed. You know, I voted for Sotomayor and Kagan. Uh, that's the way it used to be, Brian. Uh, uh, Ginsburg got 96 votes. Uh, Scalia got 97 votes. It used to be that you expect a president of the other party to nominate somebody you would not, but was qualified. How could you say Ginsburg wasn't qualified for the court? How could you say Scalia wasn't qualified for the court? I couldn't say Sotomayor and uh, Kagan weren't qualified. I wouldn't have picked them. How could you say that Gorsuch and Kavanaugh were not qualified? Well, when it comes to <clears throat> Republican nominees, <clears throat> excuse me, for the court, uh, they get slaughtered. You got Bork, you got Thomas, you have Alito, you have Kavanaugh, and I'm tired of this crap. So I said, if you're listening to what I've been saying in the last year, you understand exactly how I feel. We're going to process this nomination. I believe the votes are there. <clears throat> Lamar Alexander uh, said it better than anybody. The Constitution allows for this, and we're going to follow the constitutional path that was set up. you got all the numbers out there you know, about the number of people appointed and confirmed in the last year for presidency. It's kind of like a baseball uh, spreadsheet. But here's the one thing I think every Republican believes, including me. If the shoe were on the other foot, they would do this in a New York minute. 
This is uh, Senator Lindsey Graham, our guest. Senator, uh, in terms of money, there's a big story in the New York Times today that on average, since Ginsburg's uh, passing, the Democratic candidates up for Senate jobs have uh, pulled in about an average of $1.3 million. And it's speculated the Republicans have pulled in more money, too. Have you talked to others? Have you noticed a surge of support? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> and, and to your audience, if you, if you – yeah, if you want to help people like me, get on the website and send five or ten bucks. It really does go a long way. I'm getting outspent uh, four to one in South Carolina, outraised three to one. My opponent raised $2 million in 24 hours based on a poll that showed us tied. Now, it was a bad sample in my view. We got a, a poll out today showing me up one. The bottom line here is that my opponent's going to raise $80 million. Because every liberal in the country hates my guts for two reasons. Kavanaugh, I got in the way of their effort to destroy Brett Kavanaugh. After voting for their judges, it really pissed me off what they were due to Brett. I've known him for 20 years. And the other unpardonable sin is to help Trump. So my opponent is going to raise over $80 million. John McCain, I think, raised $100 million running for president. This has got nothing to do with the structure of South Carolina. They hate me. They hate Mitch McConnell. Uh, Amy McGrath's has raised more money than you could even believe for a Kentucky race. So if you want to help me and Mitch and all of our team, get on, get online, send some money because I can't get my message out if I'm drowned out. Yeah, Jamie Harrison is your opponent, and he's just been on just about every show. But you're you're taking this, you're you're out there, and you're saying we're going to do this, we're going to hear this. Do you believe this nominee, whoever it is, when we get her, get her Friday or Saturday, can get uh, get her hearing in committee and get a general vote before November third? I know she can get her hearing in the committee because I'm in charge of the committee. After that, I don't know what's going to happen, but I believe we have the votes. I said that last night on Sean's show. Um, if you're a Republican, um, the list that we're talking about, where it's Amy McGrath or LaGoya or anybody else, these are highly qualified women. They meet any reasonable test of qualifications. They're ready to be placed on the Supreme Court. Um, you go through all the numbers. When you got the party and the White House is also in control of the Senate, 17 out of 19 nominations submitted in election year were confirmed. Well, the numbers are the numbers, but the point is that we all know as Republicans that they try to destroy Republican nominees to hold seats open. They actually said that about Kavanaugh, and none of us are going to blink. Now, Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, I respect them both. Susan's in a tough race. She closed the deal for Kavanaugh. Whatever she needs to do, she needs to do. Have a lot of respect for both of those ladies. I don't know what Mitt Romney's going to do. I know he ran for president as the Republican nominee, and he's always expressed a desire to make sure the court stays in conservative hands. He'll tell us at lunch. But I really do believe there are 50 of us that are locked in here. I can't speak for anybody but myself, but I'll be very surprised that we that we do not have the votes given the circumstances and the quality of the nominees. Yeah, and with not Amy, uh, Amy Coney Barrett, uh, you said Amy McGrath, but I, I know you don't mean no, that. I'm sorry, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. So, Senator uh, yeah. Lindsey, Lindsey Graham, our guest, here's where Chuck Schumer said yes. Yeah, yesterday. McGrath wouldn't do well, but yeah. Barrett will. <laughs> <Yeah>. Cut for <laughs> The Senate has never confirmed a nominee to the Supreme Court this close to a presidential election. If that was how Leader McConnell 
and Senate Republicans justified their mindless obstruction of President Obama's nominee, surely they must abide by their own standard. What's fair is fair. What's fair is fair. A senator's word must count for something. Your answer? Uh, when it comes to Chuck Schumer, fair is not a good word to use. I remember he called me the night before they decided to change the rules in 2013 to do away with the 60-vote requirement for circuit court nominees. It came out of nowhere. I remember he called Senator McCain. It changed the Senate fundamentally, and I said, Chuck, you'll live to regret this. Nobody has done more damage to the judicial nominating process than Chuck Schumer and Harry Reid. When they were in charge in 2013, they thought that Hillary Clinton would be elected in 2016. They stacked the D.C. Circuit Court. This was an effort in 2013 to change the rules to put the D.C. Circuit, which is a very important circuit. That's where all administrative hearings contests go regarding suing the government, and they were a hundred percent confident they would have the court have the White House in twenty sixteen and they would just change to the judiciary forever and they dealt Republicans out. They uh, filibustered Gorsuch. That's why Mitch had to change the rules. So what would I say? The same thing I said to Chuck Schumer in twenty thirteen. You made a decision bad for the country, right. bad for the judiciary, and and you're gonna regret it. So here's where we're at. Mitch said that we've never had a situation where the president of one party and the Senate was in hand of another party that somebody got confirmed in election year is about 138 years ago. Here are the numbers. When you have a president of the same party as the Senate in election year, 17 of the 19 nominations were approved. I think we're going to be 17 of 20, 18 of 20. Well, that's where we're at right now. Uh, so the, so, so, the but, if, but, if you but, do but, lose, but here's the ahead. point: they're they're declaring war on everything Trump. They impeached him in election year. They ran through an impeachment process that was a just a complete joke. No due process for the president. They've been trying to destroy him from the moment he got in office. They haven't accepted the results. They're trying to destroy me. They're trying to come after all of us. If you want us to be able to fight back, lindsaygram.com. Help me. Help all of my Republican teammates. The liberals out there are drowning us out with money. We need some help. And the president's being outspent two to one, and he has been outraised by $100 million. And now Bloomberg's paying off felons' debts in order to get them eligible to vote in Florida, as well as $100 million into that cause. The president's best asset, I guess, is himself and his, uh, and his appearances. Well, let's, let's look at this. Act Blue is this fundraising machine they've got. In 2019, 48% of the people who gave money to Act Blue were unemployed. This just doesn't pass the smell test. I hope somebody will look at this. But they raised $347 million from people that were unemployed. Uh, Act Blue has just exploded in donations since this nomination. Again, I can only tell you what I've experienced. I'm going to be – my opponent in South Carolina, and I won by 13 points, is going to raise north of $80 million. And uh, all I ask is that people – Push back, fight back. Our conservative base, get in the game. Five or ten bucks. If you pray for me, I know you can do that. If you can give a little money, that would help. 
lindsaygram.com is happening to all of us. So, Senator, uh, yeah, you are being outraised. Uh, it's pretty prevalent around the country, Senator Cornyn. And you, as you mentioned, Senator Mitch McConnell. And then you got the tough races in Colorado, the other ones in Iowa. Alabama should go back to the Republicans. Montana is going to be yes, extremely tough. So looking at this, if you take uh, Amy Barrett, and she right. is as pro-life as people say she is, are you comfortable that in order to get that extra 20 or so thousand votes right. to keep your Senate seat and, and keep the White House, that abortion— Will will be something that the Republicans feel they can benefit from politically. See, that's really a good question. So they're going to accuse whoever the nominee is of uh, overturning Roe v. Wade, uh, you know, uh, gutting the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, destroying the planet. Just a, a list of horribles. No matter who the president nominates. Now, <clears throat> Amy Barrett is. Incredibly well qualified by any standard, has led an exemplary life, as you said, adopted two children, one with special needs. Uh, she comes into the job with the qualifications consistent with other nominations, and as a person, I mean, she has high character uh, and then some. Now, what will they do to her? I don't know, but I do know this. It blew up in their face when they, they tried to destroy Brett Kavanaugh. Roe v. Wade has been a judicial decision that's been around for since 1973. Uh, I have legislation that would would outlaw abortion in the fifth month, 20 weeks. We're one of seven nations in the entire world, Brian, that allow abortion on demand in the fifth month. Uh, there, there are some legitimate debates out there about abortion. This is a decision that divides the country, but it is president of the Supreme Court. No matter what they ask her, here's what I expect her to say, that this is a longstanding president of the court. I respect president, but I will hear any case. There are a lot of fetal heartbeat bills out there uh, in some of the more conservative states that run up against the doctrine of Roe v. Wade. I'm confident she will hear the case out. Both sides needs to be need to be heard. But no matter what we do, it will be a referendum uh, on extremism, that everything we stand for is extreme, when in fact the other side's extreme. But I would imagine that Roe v. Wade, uh, as a judicial concept, enjoys a majority support in the country. But there's a definitely a division uh, on that issue. No question. And the packing of the court, it seems very much on the table. Joe Biden wouldn't deny he would do it after first saying it's a bad idea. Senator Feinstein came out and said, I'm against ending the filibuster, but I'll hold my fire when it comes to the packing of the court. That would essentially be this first time this has been proposed since 1930, I believe. And even FDR yeah, paid but- a political price for that. Have things changed that much where Democrats would think yeah. that's a good idea? Yeah, well, okay, you got to remember they impeached this president based on a phone call. Okay, they impeached the president of the United States in an election year. Uh, they tried to literally destroy Brett Kavanaugh's life to hold the seat open. Yeah, they changed that much. Uh, your grandparents' Democratic Party is dead. Why did Schumer do an event with AOC? He's scared to death she's going to run against him. There is no way that Chuck Schumer cannot do the bidding of the left. He will lose his primary in 2022. Chuck Schumer is a captive of the radical left. If they pass something from the House and it doesn't go through the Senate, they're going to blame Chuck Schumer. If they get the Senate majority back, they will change the rules. 
they will pack the court. They will make D.C. and uh, Puerto Rico a state. Uh, they will abolish the Electoral College because right. if they don't, right. all of them will get primaried. So, Lindsay, we just got to tell you, the president just tweeted this out. I'll be announcing my Supreme Court nominee on Saturday. Time to be announced. So, president moving full steam ahead. We, of course, I'm sure he's right on the same page with Mitch McConnell. It's going to get even well, more you interesting. about Amy Barrett. I think she's an outstanding choice. Uh, the LaGoya, uh, Miss LaGoya from, from Florida, an incredible choice. A life story coming from fleeing oppression in Cuba, her parents. And just, just he has incredibly talented women to choose from. And I stand ready to help the president. When we get the nomination, we're going to move forward expeditiously mm-hmm. in the committee and uh, help us fight back. LindsayGraham.com. Anything you can do would be appreciated. I need your help. And, and the president, I'm sure, will be there for you if you've been there for him. Uh, Senator, thanks so much. Thank you. Appreciate Bye. you joining us. Senator Lindsey Graham, uh, extreme fight to get his seat for six more years. one 408 7669 Man, big day. Don't move. You're next. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you Fox talking. News radio You're studios with in New York City. Giving you opinions so I don't and facts with a positive approach. Says why. It's Brian uh, Kilmeade. It says uh, the Constitution gives the president the power to nominate and the Senate authority to provide advice and consent on Supreme Court nominees. Accordingly, I intend to follow the Constitution and precedent in considering the president's nominee. If the nominee reaches the Senate floor, I intend to vote based upon the qualifications. So he'll vote. So if the person's good... He'll vote. So there you go. So right now the Republicans are only going to lose Murkowski and Collins, which I don't even know if they would. At this point, I wonder if they're thinking about reversing. I don't know. Hey, can you drop the, do we have any uh, phone calls here? Let's go to Michael listening in Georgia. Hey, Michael. Hey, Brian. Doug Collins is my congressman. He needs to be in the Senate. I've got a sign in my yard. But what I wanted to ask to tell you is there's no requirement for hearings on uh, on uh, appointees to the Supreme Court. Why don't they just pass it out of committee and put it to the Senate for a vote? Don't give the Democrats a chance to slaughter this next conservative judge. I, I don't know if you can do that. It beats me, Michael. I, I've never seen someone not go through a hearing. I think the American people deserve that. It's as much for you and I as it is for them. Well, understand, but do you think any anybody's vote is going to change? No. No. I don't think so. And and the two ladies you just mentioned, Collins and Murkowski, yes. why don't they just vote present? Don't vote against a good nominee. Just say, okay, we're, we don't agree in the process. We're just going to vote present. You know why? And that doesn't count against them. You know, because they want to make a stand. Uh, Murkowski's not up for two years, but Collins is up now. And she thinks that helps her to, to look as though she's a little bit more moderate. Uh, as opposed to with Kavanaugh, where she made the gutsy move and, and backed him. Gutsy for people of Maine. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. 
Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. A lot of stuff going on. Mitt Romney just spoke. We'll bring you some of those comments. As we know, the Democrats all out plea for him to vote against any nominee the president puts forward. The president just announced moments ago via Twitter uh, that he will name a nominee for the Supreme Court justice seat of Justice Ginsburg on Saturday. We don't have a time yet. Right now, in a pre-prepared remarks that the president recorded yesterday, the president is addressing NATO. And so far, from what I've heard, he is taking full aim at China. Blaming them for everything, not only as uh, belligerents on the international uh, stage, not only as being dishonest when it comes to this pandemic, but also polluters when it comes to mercury in the air and plastic bottles in the ocean. I love it. Fantastic. Rich Lowry at the bottom of the hour talks about how Democrats always seem to want to blow up everything and blow up institutions when they go to, don't get their own way. And then it's my privilege to do a simulcast with Stuart Varney show hosted today by David Asman and Matt Gates stands by with a brand new book. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three. Number three. The U.K. is mulling another lockdown as the number of COVID cases spikes there. Bars will close early and more people are being encouraged to work from home. Uh, That is uh, Maria Bartiromo. Here we go again. COVID-19 cases rising in over 20 states in America, but deaths are down 4 percent. Hospitalizations are down, but cases are indeed up. We have to return to normal somehow, some way and avoid this second wave as it's creeping back in Europe. Number two. The latest CBS News battleground tracker poll in Florida shows the presidential race there tightening in that hugely important state. Democratic candidate Joe Biden leads President Trump by just two points, 48 to 46 percent among likely voters. 2020, the vote more and more likely will not have a winner on November 3rd as the courts are okaying mail-in delays in, uh, in Nevada as well as New Jersey. And Pennsylvania is up next. It is really open to ripe for unrest and people to be unsure about the final tally. 42 days left, one week into the debate. Number one. We're already hearing incorrect claims that there is not sufficient time to examine and confirm a nominee. The late iconic Justice John Paul Stevens was confirmed by the Senate 19 days after this body formally received his nomination. That is Mitch McConnell calmly saying what he always says. uh, We're going forward. No question. President Trump will fill the seat. It'll happen on Saturday. What the Dems will do and could it actually cost the Republicans, the Senate and the White House? We will weigh in with Supreme Court candidates, what they mean and more. But let's bring in Congressman Matt Gates. He's a member of the House Judiciary Committee, Armed Services Committee, and author of a brand new book called Firebrand, Dispatches from the Front Lines of the MAGA Revolution. Congressman, welcome back. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Brian. Well, Congressman, first off, your reaction to Mitt Romney coming aboard. In fact, let's listen together as we hear Mitt Romney declare, essentially, I'm voting. Well, I think it's straightforward in terms of the qualifications you look for, which is someone who is an expert of the law, someone who has a record of fairness and judgment that you think is consistent with the law. Uh, I prefer choosing those folks who uh, are, uh, if you will, strict constructionists, meaning that they look at the law itself and the Constitution, as opposed to sort of looking into the sky and pulling out ideas that they think may be more appropriate than either the law or the Constitution. So he'll vote, uh, unlike Mikowski and Collins. Are you surprised? 
I am not surprised. Looks like we've got a little momentum. Republicans have the power, and it's a refreshing surprise that we're going to use it. I was really frustrated when I came here in 2016. We had unified control of the House, Senate, and the presidency, and we couldn't get health care done. And it seems that our friends over in the Senate have learned the lesson. They understand the importance of these judicial appointments for the next generation of jurisprudence in this country. And Mitch McConnell, for all the frustrations we have with him sometimes, uh, not fighting for the wall or not getting the health care bill done, you've, you've sure got to tip your hat to him on judges. And I think he views this as a central part of his legacy, and it's my expectation that we'll get this next nominee of the president on the court. Guess who's not happy? Schumer. The Senate has never confirmed a nominee to the Supreme Court this close to a presidential election. If that was how Leader McConnell and Senate Republicans justified their mindless obstruction of President Obama's nominee, surely they must abide by their own standard. What's fair is fair. What's fair is fair. A senator's word must count for something. So besides rant, if he does get in power, Republicans might have to pay the price. They're going to look to fatten the Supreme Court by about two justices. They may look to make the Washington, D.C. estate, Puerto Rico estate, uh, blow up the filibuster. Is it going to be worth it if all that happens? Reshaping the court is absolutely going to be worth it, but it is disappointing to see my Democrat colleagues go like full FDR. I mean, I know they'd accepted the economic policies of the New Deal. Now they're even accepting the court packing policies. They may want to check their history books on, on how that turned out for FDR, but the the Schumer crying over Merrick Garland doesn't rest well with me. I mean, you have to have the presidency and the Senate to have consolidated sufficient power to seat a a Supreme Court justice, and the Democrats didn't have the Senate. They didn't have the requisite power under Garland to get that. The Republicans have that power now, and I think it's going to be an energizing moment for our base to, to show that we're actually capable of wielding it to fulfill the promises that we made to our people. Do you admit, though, that it does look kind of bad? It wasn't that they didn't have the Howard, they said it's just too close to an election. Nine well, they should have in. held the vote. I mean, Brian, back in 2016 on Merrick Garland, I think there are plenty of reasons to vote against Merrick Garland. Mitch McConnell, I, in my opinion, voted. you know, the Senate doesn't vote nearly enough. They like vote every 15 hours or something. It, they, they cryogenically unfreeze the senators and bring them out to vote. You know, every 15 hours. I think that taking more votes is a good thing for the country, whether it's judicial nominees or matters of policy. So, who's Barbara Lagoa to you? Uh, she's out of Miami from Cuban descent, first generation uh, family who came here as uh, refugees, exiles out of Cuba. Uh, seems to have a lot of respect by people, especially Governor DeSantis. Have you met her? Yeah, Governor DeSantis put her on the Supreme Court of our state. I was the chairman of the governor's transition team when that occurred. And uh, the, actually, DeSantis had three spots on the court. Had he only had one, Lagoa likely would have been the pick. Uh, she is a uh, across-the-board conservative. Uh, she allows her Catholic faith to, I think, drive a lot of her perspectives on life. And two big decisions she wrote. She wrote the most conservative concurrence on the 11th Circuit on the felon voting rights 
rights issue, ensuring that people fully paid back their debts to society. And then she also had, I think, a very healthy, robust view of executive power when she, um, the Florida Supreme Court vindicated Governor DeSantis' decision to fire the failed sheriff of Broward County uh, after the Parkland incident where that, that law enforcement organization was not adequately trained or prepared for that shooting event. So uh, I think that she's made a couple of uh, big decisions. She'd be a great pick, but there are other great picks. I mean, Amy Barrett is a phenomenal person, a great jurist, uh, would do a great deal to excite uh, the president's base and I think excite the country. I, I love the fact that he's going to replace Justice Ginsburg with a woman. You know, I went to law school in that period of time that it was transitioning from majority men to majority women, and I, I know what Ruth Bader Ginsburg meant to so many women in the profession. Well, we're talking to Matt Gates, Matt, so a lot of people didn't know Donald Trump and didn't like his style. They liked Marco Rubio, and they saw the way the president blew him up. They they liked Jeb Bush, and they saw how he dispatched him quickly. They saw the way he treated uh, Rand Paul and Ted Cruz viciously in order to win. And before they really became friends and and, and buried the hatchet, you were there for him. What about the president sold you? Uh, I like the fact that he is here to fundamentally change the way Washington does business. I mean, in my book, Firebrand, I write about how this is a deeply corrupt town where it is largely the exchange of money for favors, whether that money comes in the form of political contributions or hiring people's spouses and relatives for no-show jobs. It is just a swampy place. Donald Trump takes input from so many different places. It really breaks through the bureaucracy. It breaks through the leadership control over the Congress. And I think that the transparency that he showed, particularly in these judicial selections, may set a standard for the future, for future presidents. And uh, I love the fact that Donald Trump is making new rules and breaking the ones we don't like. But yet there are a lot of Republicans sitting out. I mean, the Bushes, for the most part, they're, they're, they obviously are not fans, and they sit it out. That's classy, to be honest. If you look at that Lincoln Project, they have unified in order to stop Trump. You know, there's so many of uh, Mitt Romney, for the most part, has gone out of his way to do just that. You have a lot of Republicans that just won't accept him. Well, how do you well, explain, prefer, how do you explain would that? Would they prefer Hillary make these Supreme Court picks? I mean, if Donald Trump is about to reshape a third of the Supreme Court, doesn't it totally undermine the argument that these Lincoln Project people and these never-Trump Republicans have been making? I mean, we'd be dealing uh, with some, like, genderless, blue-haired, woke-topian warlord from the Chaz as, like, Hillary Clinton's Supreme Court nominee. So I think that uh, the president's ability to get these nominees across the line uh, makes these Republicans Republican never-Trump voices look foolish. And look, there's going to be a fight for the Republican Party going forward. Are we going to remain a populist, America-first, pro-worker party, or are we going to go back to the ways of the Romneys and the Bushes and the Cheneys, where we're invading everywhere and inviting every illegal alien across our border illegally so that corporate America can have cheap labor? I'm not for that. It's why I wrote a book to lay out a vision for Republican politics that seizes the energy of our populism and that you utilizes the America First mantra to fill out the policies that I think will lead to a political realignment in our country. Yeah, but not in isolationism. I mean, if you do it, I think it's wrong to say that the Bushes were interventionists when they were after 9-11. Everybody would have wanted Afghanistan. And number two is in Iraq, uh, you had 70 votes in the Senate because people viewed Iraq as a problem. Yeah, but doesn't Bush have to carry the failure of that intelligence? I mean, he was he was overseeing that work product, and it wasn't true. And, like, now the Democrats go trot out Colin Powell as some, like, great endorser of Joe Biden. The last time I listened to Colin Powell, he was talking about how there were weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. 
And like there, there are defense contractors that make money if we stay engaged in these wars forever. And there are politicians who benefit from it. And I'm sick and tired, and the president is sick and tired of seeing our bravest patriots die in these wars still when there is unknowable gain, when there is lack of clarity in mission. And I think that's why the president bringing down those troop levels, bringing folks home, and making people earn more of their own peace is the right approach. Yeah, but he'll also have the president put more troops into Syria because it was a problem. The Russians are pushing their way through, and our allies were about to get steamrolled. He did that over the weekend, so hopefully that shows that he's not all one direction. He'll go both directions. Well, I mean, he kept us out of the Syrian civil war that, I mean, when we had tens of troops stuck between tens of thousands of Syrian uh, Syrian and uh, also Turks, I think he got us out of that powder keg. I think securing the oil allows the Kurds the resources to be able to fight for their own freedom. But this notion that, like, because our interests align with one group of people in one circumstance, we are now, like, forever wedded to them seems to undermine the utility of our alliances, not strengthen them. Yeah, I think also the free trade deals really changed the dynamic. I mean, uh, most people thought conservatives were for free trade, and that and it was Democrats that did not want all this because it was losing jobs, and the president turned that on its head. And now you see it because Joe Biden's trying to steal the president's line, and yet he has a track record of doing just the opposite. Well, look at the point you just made about the president criticizing China for their environmental record, and think about the nexus of that to trade. I actually support a China pollution tariff. I wrote about it in my uh, Green Real Deal chapter in my book Firebrand. I think that it's foolish to allow people to pollute the skies in Shanghai, to pollute the oceans, and then come by the penthouses in Manhattan benefiting as the American worker has to compete against people who are willing to let our earth fall into squalor. So I think to, to be America first, you want America to remain beautiful and splendid. And I think that right. lashing that trade policy to environmental policy could be a great enduring element of the Trump administration. I want to bring you to Florida for a second. Ron DeSantis says enough with the uh, chaos in cities, whether it's uh, Tampa or anywhere else. He's not going to put up with it. And he watched what happened in Seattle, Portland, and New York. And he said this, cut 30. We are not going to permit localities to defund the police. If you defund the police, then the state is going to defund any grant or aids coming to you. And that applies to any municipality uh, or local government throughout the state of Florida. And because they're doing that in New York, Seattle, and Portland, the president's keeping federal, the Department of Justice is going to keep federal funds from them. I love what this governor have done, has done. I, I assume you support it. I'm a big fan of the governor, and this decision, I think, solidifies Ron DeSantis as the law and order governor in the face of so much weakness, particularly on the left coast, where they're you know, allowing the policies that attack police, that undermine the rights of their citizens to metastasize into chaos. And we're not going to let that happen in our beloved Florida. It's noteworthy that Florida has had unified Republican control of the government for an entire generation, and the result is more people move to Florida their money is safe in Florida, their communities and streets are safe in Florida, and uh, I think that it's it's really demonstrative to the rest of the country that if you actually respect your law enforcement and believe in your people, prosperity awaits. All right, uh, Congressman, congratulations on the book, uh, Firebrand, Dispatches from the Front Lines of the MAGA Revolution. I know the president's a big supporter of the book and you. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Brian. All right, when we come back, your phone calls, one 408 Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. A lot going on today. The President of the United States hits the road. Uh, you know, he's going to be campaigning. I think he's going to be in uh, Pittsburgh. Yesterday, he was had a big crowd. Uh, and he was in Florida. He's going to be in Florida in Jacksonville, I should say, on Thursday. And he calls this the Great American Comeback Event. That'll be in Pittsburgh today at the International Airport. And the vice president's going to be in Manchester, New Hampshire. Uh, Joe Biden needs a day off after traveling yesterday to an empty room to give a speech he could have given, given to his basement because he wore a mask, didn't talk to anybody, and left in front of an empty room. If you're going to be in front of an empty room, stay home. Rich, listening online in Florida. Hey, Rich. Hi, Brian. Brian, I'd like to get your opinion on this. Uh, what are the Republicans going to realize that they're in a, in, against the Hell's Angels, so to speak, and they're still using the Marcus of Queensberry rules? Really? Donald Trump has. Not, not by. The they're going example. ahead with this. Yeah, they are, but you know, I mean, they're they're still like Casper Milk Toast. They're they're tiptoeing around and they're playing games. This this is you know it's all hands on deck, and it just seems like the people that should be speaking up and lining up behind Trump are just not doing it. Who is not? Um, I haven't heard a lot from Marco Rubio. I haven't heard a lot from Nelson. I mean, these people have, have got to stand up and take a stand. There's no Nelson. Uh, Marco Rubio was on with us yesterday. Danny, WABC on Long Island. Danny. Hey, good morning, Brian. I was at work at about 5 o'clock this morning. I was reading a lot of stuff, and I saw that there was an article about uh, the Supreme Court Justice Ginsburg's comment on Kaepernick's behavior four years ago, which I really don't care. But then, So I, I, I brought up an article. There was 100 articles about it, and it was given in part of a wide-ranging interview she gave Kurt, Katie Couric. And then about 10,000 words later, they got around to discussing Merrick Garland's held-up nomination. And her answer to the question is well, – the question was, should the Senate vote on – her and the Supreme Court justice's nom- answer was, "That's up. That's their prerogative not to vote." So there you have it. What's going on today is not new. It's not illegal. It's not unconstitutional. And and Ruth Bader Ginsburg basically said that it's their prerogative. And then she went on to say that if Clinton wins the election, she would hope that Merrick Garland would be renominated because he's a brilliant mind. And she went on to say too that uh, eight is not a good number. We need the ninth. So that's what the president's doing. He's giving them the ninth. Not without controversy. I understand the outrage on the other side, but they have power in the Senate for now. Did they give it up with this nomination? Is it worth it? It's up to them to go out and win it while doing this. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Information you want, truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Whoever President Trump nominates would move the court firmly to the right, making it solidly conservative. One of the leading contenders clearly opposes abortion rights. A devout Catholic, she's a favorite among religious conservatives. Seven children, devout Catholic. She would energize uh, anti-abortion activists and the religious right. The 48-year-old Barrett is a favorite of religious conservatives for her anti-abortion views. 
Uh, that is a little bit of the attacks the media is doing on this would-be candidate who seems to be, Amy Barrett seems to be the front runner. Rich Lowry joins us now, editor of National Review. But his New York Post column kind of caught my attention, which really focused on what Democrats are doing. Extreme reaction to everything that they don't like that happens, which means something, anything a Republican does. Rich, welcome back. Hey, Brian, how's it going? Does it surprise you there's already such a pervasive backlash across all platforms? No, uh, it doesn't. And whoever Trump picks, it's it's either, unless there's some shock, either going to be Barrett or LaGoya from down in Florida, will be viciously attacked. I mean, I think the, the thing for Democrats to do would be to say, oh, th- these are nice, accomplished women, but we hate the process, and the process is illegitimate. But they won't be able to help themselves, and we've already seen a preview with, with Barrett. There'll be attacks on her faith and attempts to, to um, portray her as a religious extremist. And that's why even though the polling at the moment, at least the first poll we got, says people don't support uh, moving ahead now, this, it's, it's one reason why the, the politics could, as this plays out, turn in Republicans' favor. Could work in whose favor? In Republicans' favor. If, if the attack if, – if the nominee is good, uh, puts up a credible showing in a, a contentious you know, high-pressure hearing and gets viciously attacked you know, in over-the-top and personal ways right. – that this this could turn into uh, Republicans' favor. Although, I, just to be clear, I, I don't think Republicans should be worrying about the politics. I think they should be doing what they're heading towards doing now, which is using you know their duly dual authority, dual, duly um, uh, uh, authority as duly elected members of the Senate to confirm a Trump nominee. They they were elected to do just this kind of thing, and they shouldn't let the timing stop them. So Reslan Eslan, uh, Reza Eslan is somebody you point to in your column that says basically if Republicans, if they even try to replace RBG, we burn the entire blanking thing down. The country? We burn the country down? What do they say? I mean, what is he saying? <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure exactly what, what that is, but you know, you've, you've had people on the center left saying, uh, not necessarily predicting or endorsing, but saying, yeah, if Trump wins, there's going to be um, there's going to be violence after the election. And you've had had people making similar threats about uh, a replacement. And just goes to me, you know, I I don't want to hear lectures anymore about norms. I I think they're important for all sorts of reasons. I support them, support them myself. But I want to hear lectures about norms from these people who, as soon as the the prospect comes up that they're no longer going to control the Supreme Court, through entirely legitimate means, you know, because Republicans have had the Senate since 2014, that they're going to pack the court, that they're going to randomly add new states to get new senators. This is ridiculous, and it would be a blow against the legitimacy of our system much greater than anything Donald Trump has said or done. And what I don't believe is they keep on saying, and I know, uh, you know, You've come around to seeing the positive of President Trump, but you were not his biggest fan to start. Your magazine came out and said, I'm not for Donald Trump, even though we're conservatives and maybe the premier magazine in the country for conservatives. But you've come around to see the positives in that. In fact, I think he even uh, endorsed your book or retweeted your book, Rich. So having said that, you know, know, it's not whatever Trump does is right regardless. So I think people should understand that. But having said that, 
I'm amazed at people who call the president a fascist or a dictator. Are you the same people that said all these states get your own? Are, you're upset that all these states were on their own with PPE, that the federal government was going to support them, that the the urban unrest, the president says, up to the mayors to get it under control. It's not right. the federal government's job to do it. How can they try to have it both ways? They say this is another chat. This is another example of him overstepping his authority. That's just not the yeah, right well, complaint. Yeah, they're, they're, I mean, they've been clearly, completely driven insane, and they'll say whatever at any given moment they, they think serves their purposes and make any criticism of the, of the president, whether it's consistent or not. And you're right on the, the COVID response. You know, may, maybe this wasn't the right call. I think it made a lot of sense. They deferred highly to the states. Now, they supported the states, and that story isn't out there as much as it, as it should be, but they, they just didn't think the federal government could make every one of these decisions in a huge constitution, uh, continental uh, nation. Same, same thing, you know, Trump could, if he wanted to, federalize the guard and send them in, but he's not. He's saying, you know, they have to assent. And on this, this is just a, a core um, responsibility of the president of the United States. He was duly elected, and there's a vacancy, and he gets to nominate, and then the Senate gets to decide. But on average, and, you know, it, I think some Republicans got tangled up saying we should never confirm anyone in an election year when their best argument is what's true, which is that they have this authority and they decide. So if they don't want to vote during an election year, they don't have to vote. If they do want to vote right on the cusp of the election, they can vote. Which is interesting. Matt Gates was just on with us, and he said, look, I don't think Republicans did the right thing with Merrick Garland. They should have just voted him down, but they should have given him a vote. That would have been more consistent with and put, would have silenced some of the critics. They were upset about this. Yeah, I think McConnell's calculation is just once you got the ball rolling, once you had the hearings, that it would be harder to stop. I just I think McConnell has performed masterly the last several years, and if he and Trump managed to get through three three Supreme Court justices in a one presidential term, that would just be an extraordinary achievement for both both of them. And by the way, president doesn't win. If Mitch McConnell doesn't hold back Scalia's seat, because that was a motivating factor of people that found uh, Trump to be tough to deal with. But they, the downside would be Merrick Garland in that seat or somebody even more to the left uh, in that seat. So that's just in my view. So I want you to hear what Britt Hume said about the next nominee. And I think this is valid. Cut 20. The character assassination we saw visited on Robert Bork to some extent, to, to Clarence Thomas to an even greater extent, and then more recently to a horrible extent toward Bre uh, Brett Kavanaugh, is something that any person in his right mind would fear. Um, it might just be something you just don't want to run that gauntlet. I, I, I think that's a distinct possibility. Do you, do you think some of these nominees who go, oh, wait a second, I'm starting to see some negative stuff in the press. I don't need to go back to 11th grade. I'm not kidding. 11th grade, they were going through what Brett Kavanaugh wrote in his yearbook to other people, how he booked bus trips to Fenway Park, and was there drinking yeah. on the bus? I mean, do, do you wonder, Rich, can anyone's life live up to the scrutiny? Is it worth it? Yeah. Well, it's uh, a lifetime appointment's a really big deal, but it, it obviously has to be something you think about. And not just for, for you, what's most painful for a lot of these nominees is, is putting their family uh, through it. But one advantage of Barrett, if the president goes with her, she was through a contentious hearing once before. And nothing against LaGoya, but she, but she sailed through with, with 80 votes. So there, there wasn't much scrutiny, but uh, Barrett had to run the gauntlet. 
And just a key uh, element of this is just going to be the sheer performance and, and uh, the highest stakes, highest pressure confirmation battle since Clarence Thomas, since um, Brett Kavanaugh. And you, you just want someone who can't be rattled, knows her stuff, and and uh, uh, dis disarms and pushes back the critics. And, and Barrett at least has some taste of that already. So lastly, game play this out. So the president goes ahead and gets this done before November 3rd. Already over the weekend, they say 13, on, uh, 13 Democratic nominees for the Senate have gotten on average $1.3 million just over the weekend since Ginsburg passed away. If they get outspent, outraised, and lose the Senate because of this, and maybe the White House, will it be worth it? I think it is, because one, it's just it's hard to game out how this is going to play ultimately politically. And it's just a historic opportunity. I mean, this You get a good nominee in the seat, she could be there 30 years. And Democrats are threatening to, to pack the court, which would be an outrage, and also would be really difficult for them to do. I mean, they, they need, you know, they need a, a Senate majority with with a, a big margin to do that, and they need a president four score behind it. And Joe Biden, you know, he dodged today when he was asked about it. But a big change like that, you need to make the case for it. You need to prepare the ground for it. You just can't show up in, in January 20 and said, "Oh yeah, my, my presidency is devoted entirely." to uh, try, trying to make this radical change that will kneecap the Supreme Court forevermore. So I just think they, they, they were elected for a reason. Generations of conservative activists have worked for this moment, and it'd be a betrayal not, not to, to make every effort to do it before the election. Always lo uh, love reading what you have to say uh, and hearing what you have to say and reading what you write. Rich Lowry, thanks so much. Hey, thanks, Brian. Take care. It's going to be an interesting time. one 408 I'm going to do a simulcast on Varney & Company. David Asman filling in for Stuart Varney. Uh, and then I'll be able to squeeze in some calls at the end of that block. And keep in mind, too, go to briankilme.com. You can order any of my books, uh, including Sam Houston, The Alamo Avengers, now out on paperback. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Now, The Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney & Company with Stuart Varney. Live on your radio and on Fox Business, here's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. We'll be on Stuart Varney and the Fox Business Channel, wherever you get that on your cable dial. you have a chance to see the studio if you're not getting Fox Nation, but you can see us on Fox Nation. Quick reminder, or actually I'm telling you for the first time, I'll be on Outnumbered at noon in the same building, so put on Fox News Channel at noon. You can watch me, uh, and we've talked about everything. I'm looking at the rundown now, very similar to what our show is, except for I can't talk to you. Uh, that's what's cool. Just around the bend, I'll take phone calls. So let's listen in. 1051 on the dot. You know what that means. Brian Kilmeade is here to join us. Brian, great to see you, my friend. Uh, let's talk first about these protesters who went in the middle of the night banging these pots, causing a scene outside of Senator Lindsey Graham's house, demanding he vote against 
any Supreme Court nomination for any reason. And it's that word any. Any means necessary. That's what these people are out to do. Egged on, of course, by AOC and other radicals in Congress. Yeah, it's unbelievable. They did it in Mitch McConnell's house. They did it against the Homeland Security Secretary's house. Uh, so this is beginning to be a pattern. Congratulations. I just texted uh, Graham's people. I said, what happened? He said about 100 people showed up. The senator was not there. He feels bad for his neighbors. About 100 people did show up. The cops were tipped off. They told everyone you had to leave or you'll be arrested on the spot. That's the way they do it in South Carolina, not the way they do it here in New York City. And they went to the Supreme Court and screamed and yelled and played the, uh, and played the bass drum. So that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to say those votes you take, it's personal. It was going to disrupt your life. And they're moving more and more, David, to the suburbs, out of the cities, to the suburbs. So they want to bring the action to you. I'm not sure this really effectively converts anyone to their cause, but at home you make the call. Well, and and again, it it, it brings up the issue of how much law and order will be seen in terms of favoring Donald Trump against favoring a lot of the Democrats who are kind of egging on these these protests. I would call them violent protesters. It hasn't gotten violent in terms of any kind of physical confrontation yet, but you know where this leads. You, you, it keeps ratcheting up the pressure. By the way, Florida Governor uh, Ron DeSantis says he wants to impose some stricter punishments on violent rioters all over the country. Here's what he told Tucker Carlson last night. Listen. Increased penalties for people who are involved in these violent demonstrations, and that includes things like toppling statutes, blocking roadways. We also have a provision that says any municipality that defunds the police, which is just an insane policy, it's like cutting off your nose to spite your face. If you do that, the state government's going to defund you. We're not going to be sending you money if you're doing things like that. By the way, I saw Judge Knapp on your show this morning on Fox and Friends, and he said that this is all constitutional, what DeSantis wants to do. Also coming is the DOJ is designating New York City, Portland, and Seattle as anarchist cities. What do you make of all this? Put it this way. You might have a great cause, and there's a, certainly a strong argument to almost every controversial issue if you're fighting for racial justice or whatever you at the time or a Supreme Court justice nomination. But when you start blitzing people's lives, when you stop them from getting to work, when you keep them up all through the night, do you understand that these people go, okay, I was 50-50. But now you've really disrupted my life. You stopped my kids from getting some rest. They have school the next day. They're not going to be sympathetic to your cause. And I just say this. Contrast what Governor DeSantis said ahead of time. I'm not taking sides. I just uh, demand some decorum. You pull down a statue, you're going to pay the price. In New York, they let everybody go wild. The governor criticizes the mayor. Things are damaged. Businesses are destroyed. People can't start their, uh, start their lives up again. And now they're using the National Guard, they say, on November 3rd to guard the polls. But they won't bring the National Guard in to guard the city, people's yeah. way of life. And Great I find point. that despicable. Absolutely, absolutely. By the way, you had some wonderful law enforcement guys on this morning uh, who are former, formerly from uh, professional sports. Terrific guys. So while there are a lot of resignations going on in the police force across the nation, there are some really good people that are getting involved, and God bless them. I, I also want to talk about sports with regard to the fines that uh, some coaches in the NFL got over a million bucks for not wearing masks. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I'm trying to think the exact uh, the rate. Uh, the coaches got a $100,000 fine. Wow. Uh, Shanahan, Vic Fangio, uh, Pete Carroll uh, all got fined for not wearing a mask. Now, look, it, 
I understand. I hope they got a warning ahead of time. And I know $100,000 is maybe $10 to them. And then their teams got fined on top of that, and they're trying to send a message. But the other thing is you got to do a job. And you're only staring straight ahead. People aren't necessarily in your face. So you got to do a job. But for the most part, I happen to know NFL locker rooms have been incredibly disciplined. These guys who are playing, they don't want to be the one to infect their team. They are staying home or going right to home. What we've seen in the NFL, outside the bubble, unlike the NBA in the bubble, not that they don't need discipline, but it takes more to work outside like baseball and football, has been phenomenal. So the one thing the football coaches have to do, they got to win the game. So maybe they were reminded. If they weren't warned, I think it's way over the top. But I watched Bill Belichick. They're afraid of Belichick. He had it just over his quickly, nose, quickly. and his mouth was open. I mean, should he get like a $50,000 fine? All right. Brian, we have run out of time. I wish we had an hour together. Thank you very much. Brian, kill me. Good to see you. Appreciate it. Go get well, him, President David. Trump. All right. Uh, Dave, listening online in California. Dave. Hey, Brian. What's I on your mind, Dave? I question for you. How, how, how are we going to be able to stop these... Uh, these uh, judges from changing the rules in the elections. I mean, like that clown up in Wisconsin just said now they can wait three days afterward after the election is over. I know. When are we ever going to know what's going to happen? And I'm worried about I'm worried about Ohio and I'm worried about Pennsylvania. It's going to be tight. Everybody knows that. But now they got these rules that are going to allow us to be able to, if it's not post-dated, still count these ballots, which is crazy. Because they say that it alleviates the post office from getting it post-dated. If you drop it in the mailbox and they don't post-date it right away, they don't want people's uh, votes not to count. That's the problem with this. If you didn't request an absentee ballot, you don't know what you're doing. You don't even know how to fill it out. For the most part, you don't know if you could still show up if you want to. And in New Jersey, the answer is, yeah, it's provisional. It means only in case of emergency. So they're making, they're making it more difficult. And I just can't get my head around it. And 60 Minutes whitewashed the whole thing on Sunday in Pennsylvania. We all saw that. I'll see you on Outnumbered in an hour. Meanwhile, keep it here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West at the bottom of the hour. Britt Hume just getting out of the shower will be with us shortly. He is coming off a four-year contract so he could take his time. He no longer has to impress me. He finally got his deal. Let's see if he brings his A game like he does for Shannon and Brett. Uh, Meanwhile, got to tell you, the president's going to be in Pittsburgh today. The vice president will be in Minnesota. So he's trying to get, uh, excuse me, New Hampshire. They both think those uh, states are winnable. For the president, he's got to win that state. You almost think he has to. Uh, but a lot of mail-in ballots there got people nervous. Over in Pittsburgh, he's going to be in a hangar outdoors where people won't focus on what he says, just how few were wearing masks in his audience. So before we get to Brit, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The U.K. is mulling another lockdown. As the number of COVID cases spikes there, bars will close early and more people are being encouraged to work from home. 
That is Maria Bartiromo talking about what's happening over in Europe. It's getting scary. COVID-19 cases are rising in over 20 states here, but deaths are down 4% nationwide. So are hospitalizations. But meanwhile, businesses are begging Washington to get them some aid, small businesses specifically, as that second wave is starting to creep up in Europe. It's up 167% in the U.K. Number two. The latest CBS News battleground tracker poll in Florida shows the presidential race there tightening in that hugely important state. Democratic candidate Joe Biden leads President Trump by just two points, 48 to 46 percent among likely voters. And he's on the move. 2020, the vote more and more likely will not have a winner on November 3rd as the courts are okaying mail-in delays while both Biden and Trump trumpet their themes and messages to gather support 42 days from Election Day, one week from debate one. Number one. We're already hearing incorrect claims that there is not sufficient time to examine and confirm a nominee. The late iconic Justice John Paul Stevens was confirmed by the Senate 19 days after this body formally received his nominations. Senator Mitch McConnell, we're going forward. The president has just said he's going to name a nominee on Saturday. No question President Trump will fill that seat. GOP votes will get there. Mitt Romney has just weighed in and says he will vote on this nominee. That leaves just Murkowski and Collins sitting it out on the Republican side, but that they will not need either one of those votes if everybody else likes what they see on the candidate who has yet to be named. Britt, even though you've seen it all, you have to say this is like no other. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's. I think you'll agree with me. Well, I think it's a year like no other, and in many respects, it's a time like no other. I mean, I, I can remember the bitter divisions that uh, racked the country in 19, the late 1960s over the Vietnam War, and we saw you know the visible signs of that during the year 1968. This is equally, if not, I, th- I would say that we're more divided, and the, and the partisanship is more bitter now than even then. Is the president, for the Republican perspective, making the right move? Yes, I think so, because uh, the question really was whether uh, he could you know, hold his coalition together to, to, uh, to at least get a vote on this nominee. And it now is clear with Mitt Romney's saying that he will, he will not try to block the, the, uh, the Senate's action, that uh, he has that. And so you know, his base, the base of the Republican Party, obviously would expect the president to make the nomination and and would expect you know nearly all Senate Republicans to go along with it, which if that happens uh, it will succeed but there's going to be there's going to be all kinds of stuff between now and then there'll probably there'll be hearings there may be last minute charges uh, we saw what they tried to do to Brett Kavanaugh they've tried things though not quite as severe to earlier nominees so this could get really ugly really fast I found it very interesting that Joe Biden did not put that in his speech in yesterday where he goes to Wisconsin in front of no one and gives a speech he could have given anywhere. Cut one. Let me tell you why I'm not going to answer that question. Because it will shift all the focus. That's what he wants. He never wants to talk about the issue at hand. He always tries to change the subject. But let's say I answer that question. Then the whole debate's going to be, well, Biden said or didn't say. Biden said he would or wouldn't. That's going to, the, the, the discussion should be about why he is moving in a direction that's totally inconsistent with what the founders wanted. And said, so, uh, you know, Vice President Biden is was asked the question, are you going to give your list as the president gave his finalist and give an idea who you'll name? The president gave a list out in 2015 about if he get in 2016. But Joe Biden doesn't want to talk about that. Why? 
Well, he, uh, Joe Biden and his campaign want the focus to be on the president, and they especially want the focus to be on the president's record, as they uh, see it, on COVID-19. Uh, suddenly, this this thing comes along like a bolt from the blue, and and puts something entirely different front and center, where the president is the lead actor, acting in a way consistent with the wishes of his of the Republican Party and possibly consistent with the wishes of many moderates. And the effect of that, all standing by itself, is to change the subject. Biden is resisting that, but I'm not, I'm not sure that really works politically for him to, to be ducking questions on how he would handle uh, the situation if he were president. That's part of what a campaign is supposed to tell you, right? How would you, what would you do if you were president? How would you handle this issue or that issue? Well, here's this issue, a very big issue, and he didn't want to talk about it. I don't think that works. Well, one thing is pretty true is that we're going to get things are going to change after November 3rd in some way Uh, for Republicans. They're going to have to do everything they can. Things have to break their own way to hold the Senate. And for the White House, it's neck and neck. I've not seen the president up in any polls, but he wasn't up last time. If in the end, do you think abortion becomes front and center now if it's Amy Barrett and she is unabashedly pro-life? Well, she is, but she's never said that she would vote to reverse Roe versus Wade. And, Brian, the truth about this is that all of this bitterness we've had over Supreme Court nominations going back 40 years and more now, almost 50 years, has really been a consequence more than anything else of Roe versus Wade. It was a flimsily reasoned decision, hanging by a thread as a matter of, uh, you know, as a matter of law, subject in the minds of many to reversal. Um, that doesn't mean it's going to be reversed, but it means that that's what people on the left and people, particularly women who strongly believe in their right to get an abortion um, with very few restrictions, if any, uh, they hold that very dear. And so they are they are absolutely resistant to the participant to the emergence on the Supreme Court of what could be another vote to reverse Roe versus Wade. I'm not. It's not all clear to me that that uh, that that's what this judge would vote to do. It's a pretty well established precedent now, like it or not. So I think it's an open question as to whether this thing is subject to reversal. What I think could reverse it would be new science about you know when the fetus can feel pain or something like that. But that's we don't have that now. Right. But I think the fears may be overblown. But that's that's what's driving this. One thing I I've never remember before. You know, I hear senators. You know, will you know they'll be held to pay, but they tell you exactly the hell they're looking to pay back with. They're looking to stop. Uh, they're looking to to add two justices to the Supreme Court. They're looking to make Puerto Rico a state, maybe Washington D.C. a state. And first and first things first, they'll blow up the filibuster. Do you doubt that they would do any of those things or all of those things? Well, I think some senators would have would have to think long and hard, particularly senators who've been there a long time and have some institutional uh, uh, sympathies about the about the Senate. Uh, Diane Feinstein, for example, I think has said that she would be hesitant to blow up the filibuster. Um, it's not you know, they're going to want to do it, and maybe they'll have the votes to do it. Um, but I don't think it's guaranteed that that will happen. Uh, but it's certainly on the table. And so is, you know, statehood for Puerto Rico and perhaps, as you say, D.C. Uh, and, you know, so are some other things out there that, that, that a Senate majority could do. And obviously that motivates voters on both sides. <laughs> you know, people on the left hope fervently this, that they'll get a Democratic Senate, which will do those things. People on the right obviously feel the reverse. Understand what the Democrats are trying to do. They're trying to win this election after the election. 
In Pennsylvania, they said just last week, a court said you can count ballots mailed in three days after the election date, even if you can't distinguish the postmark date. Today in Wisconsin, a federal judge said you can accept ballots received six days after the election date. So they're trying to win this election after the election. It's important we don't have a 4-4 split court. It's important we get another conservative on the court if we get to the situation that Democrats are playing for and hoping for come November 3rd. And he went on to say the, the average voter does not like being threatened, Republican or Democrat. And the other thing I'd bring up, uh, uh, Brett, is that it's really getting me as an American nervous. How many people, how many states are flooding their, their constituents with ballots unsolicited and for people that might not even live there? And people are totally confused. Judge Napolitano was on with us last week. He said, I got my ballot. He goes, it took me a while to figure out what the heck to do with it. He never requested one before. He never had one before. So does it, does it worry you in what's happening in New Jersey, Nevada, and Pennsylvania? And 10 other states. Look, I, I don't think there's any doubt that, that, that flooding people's mailboxes with unsolicited mail-in ballots um, could lead to such a torrent of those ballots being cast that it would profoundly strain our ability to get the ballots uh, uh, delivered and counted in a timely way. So, I mean, I think that the prospect of that is out there. And, I, you know, people say, people conservatives argue that it's rife with the possibility of fraud. Well, it obviously is if you've got all these stray ballots out there. Um, so I think that's, you know, that's a legitimate concern. And note, Brian, if you will, the liberty that these judges in various places feel that they have to simply rewrite the state's election laws. These, these state election laws have deadlines and so on, and these judges are just saying that they, because they want to, that they're going to extend the deadlines or they're going to change the deadlines or whatever. Um, this is this is what these these fights over the courts and the, are about. Is about you know the continued process of judges feeling that they're at liberty to rewrite laws to conform to their own preferences. Uh, conservatives are against that. Liberals don't mind it. In fact, liberals like it because it's a way that they can achieve a political and, and policy results that they could not achieve through the legislative process. We're going to see uh, because we have a whole there's – a, there's a big mission to get everybody to vote this time. We'll see if it actually works. There's always a lot of talk, and the numbers always end up about 60 percent or 50 percent of the country voting. So, Britt, how does it feel to get more years at Fox? Did you think you'd still be working this long after you gave Brett Baer the, the reins to uh, special report? Well, what I wanted to do was not work so hard, and now that I only owe the company about 100 days a year, I don't have to, but I still like being a part of this. I still love working here. It's the best place I've ever worked, and I'm delighted and, and grateful that I'm going to have the chance to continue uh, as long as my mind doesn't uh, leave me. No, I mean I love. I mean everyone loves you. You haven't you haven't missed a step, and I'm just excited that Brady Hume is signed for more years, which means that means you you like it. You're happy. Yeah, I like it here, and uh, I like the people. I even like you, Brian. <laughs> really? Do you, are you are you taping this, Eric? <laughs> I can play this back. Okay, good. <laughs> no, I it would not be the same without you, and we would not would not have had the success without you, and from '96 to present, Brit Hume. Thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. Glad to be on with you. All right, thank you. Uh, listen, uh, we have your calls next. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. I got. More to know also we're going to end this hour with, and at the top of the hour will be on Outnumbered. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Listen and pick up on some things you didn't know before. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. The choice in November is going to be very simple. There's never been a time where there's such a difference. One is probably communism. I don't know. They keep saying socialism. I think they're gone. They've gone over that one. That one's passed already. Joe Biden spent the last 47 years shipping your jobs to China. Put simply, if Biden wins, China wins. If we win, Ohio wins. And most importantly, in all fairness, America wins. And what the president's getting at is, look past Biden. Look who he's running with. Look how pliable and bendable she was. Look how ill-prepared she was. But look at how willing she was to give up private insurance, take down the wall, legalize, uh, legalize give health care to illegal immigrants. And the list goes on and on and on. And guess who's in the wings and back on television? And I know they wanted the squad to stay away till after Election Day, but they are back. And this is what President Trump is talking about. Joe Biden might say and mean one thing. Let's say he let's just take him at his word. I'm a moderate. I spent my whole life as a moderate. Okay, fine. I've always been for the police. Okay, I know about the crime bill. Listen to AOC. Cut 24. Voting for Joe Biden is not about whether you agree with him. It's a vote to let our democracy live another day. Because no one politician is the answer. No one president is the answer. You are the answer. Mass movements are the answer. And remember yesterday she had that great line, which we can't really figure out. No more brunch. Right? We can't really figure that out. Like, why pick on brunch? It's the only meal we all agree on that's kind of cool. Especially if it's nice out. I like brunch. Right? Everyone, every restaurant puts their own signature on brunch. But not according to AOC. No more brunch. And again, is, does this show I'm not cool because I don't know what she's talking about? Guilty is charged. Ann, listen on WABC in New Jersey. Hey, Ann. Hey, Brian. Thank you so much for taking my phone call. You are just amazing. We love you so thank much. You, we sir. love your show. Thanks for listening. Um, yeah. Uh, according to the Constitution of the United States, Article 2, Section 2, Clause 2 does not say that the president cannot confirm in the Senate advising consent in an election year. So all of these hypocrites in the Democrat Party who impeached President Trump in an election year, they need to go somewhere far away. And you know what? I just heard you play a clip of AOC. Okay. And I would like to let AOC know we're not a democracy. We are a republic. We are a country of laws. And as a result, we enjoy the freedoms of democracy. So I, I could go on. I can go on. I want to say one more thing. Lindsey Graham, you know, things come back to bite him. He once said, you know, so close to an election year, you know, we, we shouldn't be nominating. I'm paraphrasing. I like Lindsey Graham, and he's come around, and I say this with trepidation, okay? Um, but you know what? Constitutionally speaking, this is an obligation. This is a duty of the president of the United States. Well, Mitch McConnell Kudos said the same the thing, Ann. Mitch McConnell said the same Amen. thing. So close. Amen. Uh, yeah, but so close to an election. He said, uh, he said we can't, that's why we can't see Merrick Garland. So that, Lindsey Graham said the same thing. He's like, listen, we're not going to give him a vote. And the reason why they didn't give him a vote, and it's been explained to me, and I understand it, is Merrick Garland's fine. 
He's a very smart guy, but he's a liberal guy. And the Republicans want to know part of it. And he was in the last year of a lame duck. The better analogy, I think, is the last year of a lame duck as opposed to running for re-election. I think that's a big difference. But And thanks so much. Matt, WZPR, North Carolina. Matt. Hey, Brian. What's on your mind, Matt? Well, I want to say that uh, as a boards man, there's no way that I told your call screener. There's no way Biden can be reelected because of the burning and rioting and looting that he seemed to, I'm not saying promote, but do nothing about. Uh, Yeah, he was late. He was about six weeks late. He didn't seem to care. Nothing against rioting, nothing against it until the numbers started suffering, until Minnesota was almost a dead heat. And he started seeing his numbers go down. He gave those speeches, I'm against rioting. I've always been against rioting. But he didn't even show up for an opportunity to interview with two police unions, at which time they turned around and said, we're endorsing President Trump. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, We're not buying it. You know, the president is pretty consistent. Like it or not, it drives people crazy, but he's pretty consistent. Uh, Joe Biden's all over the place. And he's got even his own people worried. We're not going back to brunch. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. The American people deserve to be a fully staffed Supreme Court of nine. The president nominates and then the Senate advises and consents or not but they go forward with the process. The American people expect Judge Garland, the president's nominee, to be given a fair hearing and a timely vote in the Senate. The Senate should do their job. Every day that goes by without a ninth justice is another day the American people's business is not getting done. When the Constitution is 100% clear, the president of the United States has the right to nominate someone to be a justice of the Supreme Court. Senate's function is to hold hearings and to vote. That is June 24th, 2016, March 2016, uh, September 2016. Pelosi said it on March. And they were on the other, she was on the other foot. And they were pushing for Merrick Garland to get a day, get a hearing. And the Republicans said, no, not in the final year of a lame duck session. And the cry is hypocrisy because you're in the final year, in the final months of the president's first term up for re-election, and Republicans are doing exactly what they told the Democrats they, they wouldn't do. Are they being hypocrites? Let's bring in a Republican, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, and the Colonel now Chairman of the Republican Party of Texas. Colonel, what do you think? Are those cry of, uh, cries of hypocrisy based on foundation, solid foundation? No, they're not based. Yeah, Brian, it's great to be with you. They're, they're not based on foundation, and that's why I said over the weekend on Fox & Friends that it is so important that the Republicans control the messaging on this. And they cannot allow the Democrats to control that narrative, which is what they're seeking to do. You played uh, a lot of those clips. But the important thing is that when you have a president and a Senate majority that are from different parties, then that's where that uh, constitutional rule applies. Now you have a president and a Senate from the same party. And so that's a different, a completely different uh, circumstance and situation. The president has a constitutional right and authority to be able to appoint a Supreme Court justice. If uh, Chuck Schumer and the rest of the Democrats there don't uh, want to affirm his uh, his nominee, let them have at it. That's why we have that process there. And of course, we used to have that threshold of the 60 votes, but 
but then it was Harry Reid who changed that when he was the Senate Majority Leader so that it's just a simple majority in the Senate because they wanted to push through the uh, judicial nominees of uh, President Obama. So the real hypocrisy is from the progressive socialist left, and the fact that they are now talking about Marching on the White House and and you know uh, you know attacking the White House if the president nominates someone that shows that these are tyrants these are despots and they believe in the rule of the mob and chaos and violence. It's uh, crazy. Uh, and a couple of things I want you to hear: with the press is also incensed that so far nothing can stop the president. Who, in case you do not know, has Mitt Romney says I'm going to hear it and I'm going to vote. So the only two who says they don't think it's right is Collins and Murkowski now, but they don't need them currently. And now the president also said, I'm going to name somebody on Saturday. So those are the two new news items. Here's Nora O'Donnell on CBS Evening News yesterday. You know the news just deliver the facts. Cut 11. Tonight, the two women who are frontrunners and how they could cement conservative control of the nation's highest court for a generation. And that nomination battle will now be a central issue on the campaign trail, with both sides using the possibility of a court dominated by conservatives in their appeal to a crucial voting bloc suburban women. So I don't know. That doesn't sound, I didn't think that would be terrible to be conservative. I didn't know you'd take a position on that. Well, that's the sad thing. And, and really, Brian, what I talk about a lot when I travel across the state of Texas is that the left does not believe in the three branches of government. They believe in the three branches of rule. And those three branches for the left is the, is the media, is academia, and is the courts. What they cannot get through a legislative process, they want to control the courts so that they can have those judicial activists that are up there legislating from the bench. What we're talking about is a constitutional conservative uh, bench. We're talking about people that understand that they're supposed to interpret law and not make law. And that is something that really has the uh, the left, you know, throwing going into an apoplectic fit right now if you could end up having a 6-3 uh, Supreme Court because that, that they can't take their little pet peeve ideological agenda items to the Supreme Court and get them to rule in their favor. So that is really, this is a huge uh, uh, election. This is a huge decision. And uh, I think that the president has every right by the Constitution to do exactly what he is doing. All right. So uh, Colonel Allen West with us now. Senator Corn is in a tougher race than many people thought. Does this make it harder or easier when you do this? Because we know they say the money is flooding into the Democratic Senate candidates. They got an average of one point three million in just last weekend after the passing of Ginsburg. So you tell me the reality on the ground. The reality on the ground is that I, you, you can truly sense the energy on the uh, the GOP side, on the conservative side. You don't see the signs out there. You don't see the rallies. This past weekend, I was at a Trump train rally up here in North Texas in Frisco. There were 600 uh, trucks and uh, cars at that rally. Then it linked up with another over 1,000 trucks and cars. Uh, not too long ago, about two or three weekends ago, in Laredo, Texas, down right along the border, there were 5,000 trucks and cars in a Trump training. You know about all the uh, the, uh, the Trump boat parades that you see uh, all across the lakes here in Texas. So they can continue to flood money into Texas, but guess what? They have a horrible message. They want to destroy the 10th largest economy in the world. That's the Texas economy. They want to destroy the oil and gas industry. That's what the Green New Deal is all about. That's the reason why the United States of America is energy independent and a net export of energy resources, because of what you have here in Texas. They want to take away our ability to defend ourselves. And in Austin, Texas, they've already defunded the police by $150 million. They want to uh, defund the police here in Dallas. 
and then couple that with taking away your your Second Amendment rights, that's not going to fly. And suburban white women here in Texas, that's the number one demographic that first and foremost going out and purchasing firearms. Second, they're going out and they're taking concealed carry license uh, classes. I don't think suburban white women are purchasing handguns so that they can go out and vote for you know, Kamala Harris or Joe Biden and uh, Robert Francis O'Rourke gets put in charge of the gun problem and they give him up uh, as soon as uh, he takes over. So, so that's Colonel, the, the facts on the ground. Right. So let's talk about where the president's vulnerable. And almost all polls reveal that on the coronavirus, whether they think he could have done it, whether a, a true arbiter would say he could have done better or worse, we still haven't gotten hold of this disease. You look overseas and you see what's happening in Europe, they're getting slammed by a second wave. The most disciplined society that I know of, free society, is Israel. They are locked down again. The other one is the U.K. They knew this, the, the urgency here. Their own prime minister got it and almost died. And they are in the middle of a partial second lockdown. But this is where Joe Biden chooses to go. Tell me if this should worry the Trump team. Cut 26. Trump panicked. The virus was too big for him. All his life, Donald Trump has been bailed out of any problem he faced. And with this crisis, a real crisis, the crisis that required serious presidential leadership, he just wasn't up to it. He froze. He failed to act. He panicked. And America's paid the worst price of any nation in the world. And that's what Obama was saying at the convention. He's not up to it. He's not up for the job. Michelle Obama and President Obama. What about that theme? You know politics. Yeah. Well, I will tell you that uh, Barack Obama and Joe Biden weren't up to the job that allowed us to have ISIS, that allowed us to have a weak foreign policy, strategic patience with North, uh, North Korea leading from the behind. And they did not deal very well with an H1N1 virus that affected some 60 million Americans, but they had a favorable media that did not make that an issue for them. So let's be very honest about that. Here in the great state of Texas, I will tell you that Texans are ready to get back to work. Texans are ready for this great state to be opened up fully. They understand that there are certain demographics that have to be protected, such as those 65 and above. But remember, it was just two uh, weekends ago on a Sunday that a report came out from the CDC that only 6%, sadly still, 6% of the deaths in the United States of America were from COVID only because of COVID. The other 94% were because of people had certain comorbidities such as obesity, high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, and uh, heart disease. So the, the people here in Texas want to be responsible for themselves. They want to get their businesses back going. Suicides are up. Uh, domestic and child abuse are up. Our children are suffering because of these school closures and things of this nature. So they want to see adult leadership. They want to see people that entrust the American people and not use it as an ability to usurp and take away their individual rights, freedoms, and liberties. Uh, I want you to help me with this. I don't really know what this means. Here's Alexander Ocasio-Cortez giving me a warning. Let this moment radicalize you. We need to focus on voting for Joe Biden. I don't care if you like him or not. This is not over. You know, we win in November. I'm sorry to tell you, you're not going back to brunch. We're not going back to brunch. That's not happening. Okay. Why can't I have brunch? 
uh, because maybe she wants you to starve like most socialist dictators end up uh, having their country starving. If you look at Venezuela, you have people starving. You look at any place where socialism has taken over. You know, this past weekend I did uh, an event for a Christian ministry called Proclaim Cuba. You know what the number one issue in Cuba is right now? People are starving. People are starving because of COVID-19 and they're not able to get food into uh, into Cuba. And right now the you know monthly or weekly rations that they get, food rations now, that's how great Cuba is. It's only lasting two or three days for people. So I think that's what uh, you know Miss Ocasio-Cortez wants. And it's kind of like Marie Antoinette when she said, let them eat cake. That didn't mean the good cake. That means the stuff that you scraped off the oven. Thank you. I need you to get you have to you know everything. You know the military, you know politics, you know how to you know how to ride a motorcycle. I mean it's amazing how how I fall short. You know what I mean, you know why I can't have brunch. You know everything, Colonel. Well, you know, it's just so simple. I mean, these people are so transparent in what they want to do, Brian. It's, it's sad. And I do know how to ride a motorcycle, except for when someone cuts me off and hits me from behind. Exactly. Uh, and I'm glad you're not riding it now. No offense to motorcycle riders, but we need Colonel West in one piece. Uh, Colonel, best of luck. Real quick, on the virus itself, I hear the numbers are ticking up in your state. How much do you know? Well, I will tell you this, uh, you know, in Collin County, which is up here in North Texas, we had a county judge who is kind of like the county commissioner uh, challenge the numbers from the Texas State Health Department. They were saying that he had 4,783 active cases. When they went back and did a review, he only had 81 active cases in all of Collin County, pretty big county here in North Texas. What they are doing in a lot of cases is they're coming up with this probability that if Brian Kilmeade comes down with uh, COVID-19, the probability is that Brian Kilmeade has been around three or four, maybe five other people. So probably you have you know, four or five cases, not just the one case that we know of with Brian Kilby. And that's not uh, that's common core math. That's not how we want to do business. Gotcha. All right, Colonel. Uh, best of luck. It's going to be a sprint in Texas. No race is safe. Yep. So just keep fighting. You got it. You, we will. We're going to take care of from the White House down to the schoolhouse. My friend. <laughs> Absolutely. Lieutenant Colonel Allen West uh, getting things going as chairman of the Texas GOP. When we come back, you'll find out if there's indeed more to know. I'll give it away. The answer is yes, there is. And keep in mind, I'll be on outnumbered at the top of the hour. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't go anywhere. I'm taking attendance. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. I'll be on at noon on Outnumbered, so you'll have a chance to see what I look like if you're not watching Fox Nation. And I just got to re- uh, remind you again uh, that you could always get this show. If you ever miss it live, go to BrianKillmeadShow.com and get the stream. And if you'd rather use iHeart or Spotify or iTunes, those are all options for you. So it's uh, And there's no excuse not to do your homework, and that's listen to the show. Now it's time to find out if there is indeed more to know. More to know. And I guess the answer is yes, there is. I take responsibility. I'm not saying those are my words. Those are Ellen DeGeneres' words talking about the toxic work environment made famous when we were really bored during the pandemic. The claims of the environment, she says, happened. In her opening monologue, which, fe- which she first appeared on the show's brand new YouTube channel, it took re- she took responsibility for the scandal. A spokesman for Warren Brothers confirmed to Fox News in August that Ed Glavin, the EP, and Ken Lehman 
Co-executive producer Jonathan Norman have parted ways with the show. The show's resident DJ, Stephen Twitch Boss, was subsequently promoted to co-executive producer. Here's Ellen DeGeneres, Cut 32. As you may have heard, this summer there were allegations of a toxic work environment at our show. And then there was an investigation. I learned that things happened here that never should have happened. I take that very seriously, and I want to say I am so sorry to the people who were affected. I know that I'm in a position of privilege and power, and I realize that with that comes responsibility, and I take responsibility for what happens at my show. This is the Ellen DeGeneres Show. I am Ellen DeGeneres. All right, whatever. It's way too much about Ellen DeGeneres. On air, she's great. Off air, she's not. And maybe she'll be a better person in the end. I think it was way overdone. If you take Johnny Carson and all these other uh, hosts, they, a lot of them were egomaniacs, but they were really good at their job. So maybe she went over the top or maybe everybody's too sensitive. I just think she got way too hard of a job. Do you think I'm being too nice to her, Pete? You're just uh, too nice to everybody sometimes. That's not true. Ask Eric about that when I'm not around. <laughs> Next, Sylvester Stallone's mom, Jackie, age 98, passed away in her sleep. Frank was there. He called her fearless and flamboyant and a star. Uh, she also leaves behind her husband of over two decades, Stephen Marcus Levine. Hey, she did a good job with Frank and did a really good job with Sly. And I believe, did she have some sort of psychic network back in the 80s? I know she used to go on Howard Stern and kind of embarrass him because yeah. he's way out there. She also was a tad heavy on the makeup, too. Nice. Next. I cannot believe Twitter's getting away with this. They have censored Tim Tebow's video. It was about Christianity, truth, and love. How dare he do this? They placed an interstitial or filter on a video that the former NFL quarterback, icon, of course, they said it was potentially sensitive content. It appears as though the interstitial appears for users who have the sensitive content filter applied to their account, but it may not appear for those who do not. Quote, a lot of people will talk about love and truth, but it's so important because as believers, we have to be able to understand how to share both of them. How dare he put that on Twitter? This poor guy just gets berated and destroyed, and he is not. I mean, everybody should aspire to be as nice of a person and be as charitable I as know. Tim Tebow. It's, I don't look get at, it. But look at the NFL when he took a when he would take a knee after a touchdown to pray, he was lamblasted. Now it's okay to do, but and when he does it, he's bad. Next. Basic. NFL has found uh, fined three coaches over a million bucks for not wearing masks. That's not good news for Pete Carroll, Kyle, uh, Kyle Shanahan, and Denver's Vic Fangio. Uh, they weren't wearing masks. Uh, they weren't even trying to wear masks. Uh, they were fined uh, $1.5 million. The team was fined, too. Do you think this is over the top? I know they had sent out, uh, I guess, emails and letters to each team stressing the need for everybody on the sideline that's not a player, to, you know, all coaches to wear masks. So I guess if they knew it, then they should. They have to expect it. Now, whether the dollar amount is excessive, that's right. another story. Next, you mentioned Colin Kaepernick or taking a knee. Colin Kaepernick not mentioned as a possible replacement for the Broncos' Drew Locke, who got hurt. He wasn't even asked in for a tryout. I don't even think he wants to play. It's been about three years now. His name has not come up in the brief discussions I've had with John Elway at this point, according to their head coach, who has fined all that money. I'm sure John and Pat will work hard to bring somebody in here they think will be the better fit. You said it best. He doesn't want to play. I believe, wasn't it Elway and the Broncos that offered him a backup slot a few years ago? He didn't take it. And just like Teddy Bridgewater got a backup slot, now he's starting. Jameis Winston is a backup slot. He'll end up starting. You work your way back. That's the way it's always been. I'll see you. In a matter of minutes, 
on Outnumbered. Thanks for listening. Brian Kilmeade here. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.